0: I have been working with Navy Hair Care since they launched back in 2018. At that time, I was about a year postpartum with our third child, and my hair was experiencing some trouble after some significant postpartum hair loss. Navy really helped to strengthen my hair, and I noticed a big difference about one to two months after using it regularly. With biotin, vitamins, and rosemary oil, this shampoo and conditioner combo has been part of my daily routine for years now. I also use the charcoal mask every one to two weeks to help revitalize my hair. It helps to dry out toxins, heavy metals, and impurities, which we have plenty of since we have well water. This mask will leave your hair feeling incredibly soft and lightweight. You can use the code Lindsay, L-Y-N-Z-Y, for 30% off your order, and I will leave the links to the products I mentioned within the show notes. Hello everyone. Today, I will be chatting with Dr. May Hughes. Dr. May is a doctor of physical therapy, a mama to a new little girl, and a fitness fiend who's passionate about helping women feel empowered during every part of their pregnancy and prepared for a healthy postpartum journey. Dr. May specializes in treatment of the pelvic floor for women who are pregnant or postpartum to help them stay pain-free and leak-free while moving through motherhood. She stands behind the philosophy that pelvic floor, core, and most other full body issues during pregnancy and postpartum are absolutely treatable, even preventable, and with the right care, women can regain the strength and control needed to perform any activity they desire. When she is not treating patients in Nashville, Tennessee, or creating digital courses for pelvic floor health, she is likely somewhere outside hiking with her family. Dr. May currently has two courses available online. Movement Through Pregnancy is an evidence-based online course and fitness program providing you with full body workouts from week five through 41 with a focus on pelvic floor, core, and full body movement. She also has Movement Through Early Postpartum, which is an online course and fitness program that provides you with support, education, and healing movement to perform during the first six weeks postpartum, whether you've had a vaginal or cesarean delivery. In today's episode, we will talk about some common myths about exercising during pregnancy that are not supported by evidence, what type of exercise is safe during pregnancy, benefits of exercising while pregnant, and much more. Let's dive in. Just a little disclaimer before we start this episode. This podcast does not provide medical advice. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. No material on this site is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. All right, Dr. May, welcome to the podcast today. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Yes. So today we are going to be talking about exercising during pregnancy, which as we mentioned before we hopped on here, is kind of a hot topic. While I was on social media back in the day, like a year and a half ago, <laughs> I've been good say back <laughs> in the day now, I had people reach out to me. I was telling you that Like I would share some of my exercising while pregnant throughout my career in blogging and social media and people, I'd always have some people saying like, you can't do that while pregnant or, oh my, I hope you're not putting your heart rate above 140, all these things. So I'd love to open this up first by just talking about some of the common myths about exercising during pregnancy that are not supported by evidence.
1: Yes, so there are quite a few, but I'll start with some of the most common ones that like I hear from many of my patients or just people in general reaching out via social media. So one of them is the one that you just stated about the heart rate. Way back in the day, they used to recommend not getting your heart rate above around like 140, 150 beats per minute. That is that has been debunked quite some time ago. The current So ACOG, you'll hear me refer to pretty often throughout this, is called, it's American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. And they're pretty much in charge of creating these guidelines. And the current guideline actually states that you follow what's called like a talk test, meaning that if you are working out, are you able to carry on a very light conversation, only needing to maybe like rest for a second or two to catch your breath. So you're not like killing yourself pretty much. But you can still work out to a very a very comfortable level. And there's no mention of heart rate anymore. There's absolutely no mention of heart rate because every single person has such a variance in their resting heart rate. Not to mention pregnancy in general just naturally increases your heart rate, heart rate because you have so much more blood flowing throughout your body. So your heart rate is automatically raised just being pregnant. If I were to stop at 140 beats per minute, I probably wouldn't be able to walk up the stairs during pregnancy. Well, that's exactly <laughs> right. I mean, I, I would go
0: for a walk pregnant. I'd be at one for, I mean, it's it just, as you said, like there's a lot more blood flow happening and the way your body deals with that is it increases your heart rate. And everyone's body is just completely different, right? The way they react to things when they exercise, like I'll work out with a friend who's incredibly fit and has like a, like a smaller stature than I, but her heart rate is is much higher than I, than mine but we're doing the same thing. It just varies so differently person to person and you can't put a number and just say okay everyone is here, you right. know. It just doesn't number. make sense. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then I mean speaking of arbitrary numbers another myth that people will come to me asking about is like is there a certain weight limit? that I should be lifting. You know, is it 10 pounds, 20 pounds? What, how heavy can I lift? Same thing. There's not a single current piece of research that states, this is the magic number. Like, Do not lift above 10 pounds because once again, everybody is so different. And 10 pounds to someone who's an Olympic athlete is going to feel like nothing versus 10 pounds, someone who maybe performs, you know, enjoys yoga or walking, that might be a little bit more. And so it all goes back to that perceived level of exertion, kind of that talk test, you know, how out of breath do you feel? Do you feel like you can continue throughout the workout without having to stop for, you know, minutes at it on end? What I always tell people is you might birth a 10 pound dumbbell. You never know (laughs) what, you know, what (laughs) weight that baby's going to come out in. And so it's kind of, not right to say you shouldn't lift a certain weight when your baby is potentially that weight inside of you already. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Carrying it around every day. (laughs) Quite a few myths out there.
0: (laughs) How would you know, let's kind of address this right after, because you mentioned it, with weight training and strength training specifically, is there, I guess we should start off with, are there certain movements like That you would do while weightlifting that you might want to be careful with or maybe avoid, especially as you go into like the second and third trimester? Like, what are we looking at as far as avoidance?
1: Once again, everyone's gonna be slightly different, which is why I always recommend reaching out to, you know, like a pelvic floor therapist or someone who's pre and postnatal certified to give you more individual recommendations. But overall, I, you know, reaching that second, third trimester is when you're going to be experiencing a little bit more of body changes. And so. When it comes to certain movements, a lot of the stuff will revolve around your core because those muscles, your abdominal muscles get stretched out and they get stretched out, they get weakened. Think of like an overstretched rubber band, right? That's not as strong anymore. And so usually the first sign of, an exercise maybe being too difficult or the weight being too difficult is if you're noticing what's called like coning in your abdomen or pretty much like if you were to look down, yeah. D- does it look like your belly is more of a triangle shape rather than that nice like round shape during pregnancy? And so this is usually something that I will try and coach women on right away so that they are, they can look at themselves and be their own best judgment of whether the exercise is maybe too difficult or the load, the weight of the dumbbell is too much because it's really hard to say, oh yeah, no women past the second trimester should perform an overhead press because there are so many women who can, but can you do it without any abdominal coning? And that is usually my biggest telltale sign of when an exercise is too difficult is just that abdominal coning or if you are starting to maybe hold your breath during an exercise. and something you want to avoid throughout pregnancy as well as holding your breath.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about high impact type exercising? So like hit training and things like that. Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, there is quite a variance of research out there. What's actually interesting is the Australian recommendations for exercise during pregnancy were just updated to actually include high-intensity training. So getting your heart rate, or not your heart rate, getting your level of intensity of exercise above, you know, 70%, which is usually what you would perceive as moderate or easy. They actually just recommended performing, you know, an hour to an hour and a half per week of high-intensity exercise, which is so interesting because the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists have not changed their recommendations yet. So the high intensity question is a bit of a difficult one to to go over because who wants to, who wants to perform that study on someone who's pregnant with the potential of an adverse outcome, right? what I will say is typically if you are used to high intensity training during before pregnancy, then usually I recommend it's typically okay. So long as it is not your main form of activity. So like that Australian recommendation said, you know, an hour to an hour and a half per week of high intensity mm-hmm. training. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I I love that you mentioned. So it's it's incredibly difficult to gather the research needed on pregnant women because of exactly what you said, who wants to volunteer for that and who wants to be responsible of something happens, right? So when it comes to medications, are certain medications safe in pregnancy, you'll see a lot like this is most likely safe. It's hard to gather research yeah, because yeah. no one wants to put a mother and a baby at risk. And no mother is like, hey, sign me up for that. Let me see if that's safe.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. No, one's so it can be willingly. difficult. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Volunteer.
0: So that's why, I, you know, during pregnancy, it can be really hard to, you know, find research studies that help support like anything you're looking for, certain diets or medications or exercise. It's hard because the research itself is difficult. But I will say, I, when I was just like my own story of being pregnant with four kids, I, my first pregnancy I had, I was, of course, like, incredibly cautious because i was like i've never been pregnant before even though i'm in medicine i didn't like for me being being pregnant i like it's like everything you know about medicine kind of goes out the window and you're like oh my gosh you're like a deer in headlights right for like the first time and i just remember like kind of working out, but nothing like compared to what I was doing prior, which was like a lot of running and things like that. But then we had some issues and I was actually told I couldn't work out for weeks at a time. And then I think I got back into it towards the end. And then my second pregnancy, it was like, okay, here we go. Like I'm going to continue a little bit of what I was doing before. So you get a little bit more like courageous with each pregnancy because you're like, because you get nervous. I also had miscarriages. And of course there's absolutely no connection between exercise and miscarriage, but it's always in the back of your head, right? Like This is just something women, I think, intuitively think about because they're like, well, I wouldn't want to do anything that would put my baby at risk, obviously. So you're like, I'm going to be a couch potato because nothing could be harmful about that. But maybe there could be, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So yeah. yeah. So by the fourth, of course, like I'm doing Orange Theory, which is essentially high intensity intervals for an hour and doing a lot of lifting and completely different scenario compared to my first pregnancy. So yeah, I think this is why I really wanted to do an episode like this because I think it's hard when you're pregnant for the first time or even the second time because it's just it's just in the back of your mind where you're like, well, I don't want to do anything harmful. But we're here to tell you today that there's there's so many benefits to it. So many. So let's talk about, because we were just talking about, let's let's dive into some of the benefits. Can you talk about not only for, we can break it up, benefits for mom and then benefits for baby. I had pulled up some of these Studies before we got on. So, I would love to talk about both of those.
1: Yeah. So, a lot of the benefits for mom are the same ones that are still beneficial for any human being in general, right? Helping to regulate your mood, which is huge. As we all know, anyone who's been pregnant knows the difficulties of your hormonal fluctuations during pregnancy and how that can impact your mood, as well as regulating cortisol, which is huge because you know pregnancy can be a bit of a stressful time, right? You're learning, especially if you're a first time mom, you're learning kind of about your body. Maybe you're thinking about how your life is going to change or how you need to prepare that sort of thing. And so working out can really help to regulate your cortisol levels as well. So it just helps to improve blood flow to your baby right? So it helps to improve the function actually of your placenta and ensure that you're getting good oxygen to your baby via your your blood. And so, I mean, and obviously I'm a pelvic floor therapist. One of my biggest benefits that I always like to encourage is it helps just decrease pain. Movement is one of the best things that you can do to decrease pain. I think one of the things that when... Especially, you know, if it's your first pregnancy, if you're experiencing a lot of pain, the first thing, like, kind of like you said that a lot of women jump to is couch potato, right? Like, if I'm doing nothing, I can't hurt myself. But actually, your body during pregnancy is going through so much change. Your ligaments are becoming the, are becoming a little bit more loose for, you know, easy terms to, grasp. They become a little bit more elastic. Your muscles are having to adapt to a growing human inside of you. And so actually strengthening your body really helps to reduce, you know, incidences of low back pain or pelvic pain or rib pain. So to me, like I said, I'm a bias a pelvic floor therapist, but movement and decreasing pain is one of the, that's one of the biggest benefits to exercise that I can, I can't stress it enough during pregnancy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I was, I was doing a little bit of some research before, before this. And of course I knew these, but I wanted to be able to cite and all of that. So I will, I'll definitely link them in the show notes, but there was a study that came out in 2019. And prior to this one, there was one that had come out in 2011, I believe. So this one's obviously more current, but they determined that newborns whose mothers exercise during pregnancy, their babies may become physically coordinated earlier compared to those who didn't exercise at all. They took 71 healthy pregnant women in their first trimester and then half didn't work out. And then half did three times a week for 50 minutes with a moderate exertion. And they determined that the babies whose mothers had exercised had tended to do better on all of the motor skill activities that they tested them on after they were born. Now of course studies like this make sure that they're using different controls like so this one didn't have a control for what was going on at home. So were the moms who had babies that were better coordinated were they doing more physical activity and exercises with their kids at home to to make them better coordinated like who knows. I tend to go on the caution of like probably not. It's not like these particular moms were like working their babies out every day to make it so that they were <laughs> you know but they didn't control for things like that so you know it's it's just hard with studies like this but i mean that's amazing they also had mentioned in a few other studies obviously benefits for the baby would be body weight and composition cardiovascular health nervous system development so they found in one of the studies that they had decreased anxiety like behaviors there was improved cognitive function so improved learning improved memory like i mean crazy things that are beneficial for Us as human beings exercising while not pregnant, like you said, these benefits can extend all the way through into the placenta and the where our baby is growing and like affect them in a way that will set them up for an amazing life and just like setting them up with these steps ahead that they wouldn't otherwise have. And of course you're going to feel better if you're taking care of yourself, just mentally and obviously physically.
1: Yeah. It's so interesting that you brought up the, the cognitive benefits because I remember explaining that to one of my patients. And she was just, you know, mind blown thinking about like how that can alter the chemi- the chemistry and like, you know, biophysical profile of your child. And I think sometimes, you know, as medical professionals, we might shy away from some of like stating some of these things because we don't want the people who aren't as active as we'd like them to be from, you know, making people feel Worse about themselves or something along those lines, you know what I mean? So it's always a difficult thing to bring up to your patients, but I feel like also I'm doing people a disservice if I'm not recommending a certain level of activity because of the benefits that research has truly shown, help to improve, like you said, like motor function, cognitive function of your child. So that's always like such a difficult fine line to walk when you are a medical professional of not wanting to tell people they are harming because they're not I there's completely instances in which it is not safe to exercise I never want those women to feel excluded this information should be out there like if if I'm choosing between not walking for the day I'm not walking my 30 minutes per day or you know, just laying on the sofa maybe that little push of knowing how it affects your baby might get people out just a little bit more
0: yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I love that you mentioned that because I mean, obviously there are people that this is going to be contraindicated and you'll know that because your your provider will tell you, you might have a certain condition or what have you that prevents you from being able to do this. But if you're able, I mean, just like you said, a, like a simple walk, a walk outside, a one or two mile walk. I have a friend right now who is pregnant and She had a condition that was preventing her from doing much activity in the beginning. And she's just like, I just want to move. So she finally just started walking. It just walking is so beneficial. So if you're someone listening, that's like, I don't know. I've never been somebody who worked out every day, but I'm thinking I do want to do some walking and you can just start off doing a half mile if you want or what, you know, whatever you think is feasible, doable. That's what you start with. And then you can always increase it as you go, as you feel comfortable, you know.
1: Yeah, I always recommend walking is like the best place to start working up to 30 minutes a day. It's fantastic. And even even some of the latest research has shown that so many of the conditions, and I don't want to overstep my boundaries because I'm not an OBGYN or midwife, but so many of the conditions in which they would recommend bed rest, they're starting to realize, oh, wait. We actually don't need to be on complete bed rest. Maybe you can still walk or do modified light activity. It's just you're not going to be, you know, crushing it in the weight room. So even some of those instances in which exercise used to be contraindicated or, you know, heavily frowned upon with a certain issue that maybe you're having during pregnancy, even those are starting to change. And they're starting to realize, you know what, light walking there's hardly any negative effects of that, so
0: yeah. No, I, i've I've all I've heard exactly the same as as you, which is just that before. And again, this goes back to when you have little information, little research supporting a lot of these things. Obviously, the go to is going to be like what I. Think is safest, which would be to say, don't do anything. Right. But now, as we learn more and we do more, it's like, oh, okay. So, with these certain conditions, perhaps putting somebody on and being on bed rest. I mean, nobody wants that. (laughs) Like, that is unsustainable for life. Right. Just saying, Mm -hmm. like, hey, lay up in bed all day. Like, that is. Really hard. And then to think every time I step out of bed, am I putting my baby at risk? Like, you know, it's a lot. So I think by being able to say, hey, listen, like we need to kind of come back around and, and rethink about this. And do these patients really need to be on bed rest? Could they be doing, like you said, a little light, light walk a day or what have you? I think that's great that we're starting to kind of change the trajectory of how we think about certain. Conditions and things like that. And maybe I'll try to see if an OBGYN can come on to talk about that. Because
1: yeah, I think I, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, yeah. About some of, you know, I have a couple ideas in mind of things that have, you know, recently kind of changed a little bit. So I think that would be great to pull, yeah, like an OBGYN on some of those things that have changed.
0: This podcast episode is brought to you by Green Chef. Green Chef makes eating well simple with plans to fit every lifestyle, whether you're keto paleo, vegan, vegetarian, gluten-free, or just looking to eat more balanced meals, Green Chef offers a range of recipes to suit your preferences. They have expanded their menu and you can now choose from 30 recipes weekly. If you want to mix and match meals from different dietary preferences in the same box, that's no problem. You can order vegan for one day and keto the next if you choose. They also offer 10-minute lunches, which include convenient low-prep lunch recipes that are great for busy days. Green Chef makes busy nights easier for me by providing the exact ingredients needed to make a quick, delicious meal. We have tried quite a few now, and they are always very straightforward and minimally time-consuming. Our recent meatloaf dinner was a hit with everyone at the table. You can save time by cutting down on meal planning and grocery shopping by having the meals delivered straight to your door. Green Chef is the only meal kit that is both carbon and plastic offset. They offset 100% of their carbon footprint, as well as 100% of the plastic in every box. To try Green Chef, go to greenchef.com slash lindsay 60 That's L-Y-N-Z-Y 60. And you can use the code Lindsay 60 to get 60% off plus free shipping. Have you in any of your research or data collection, have you come across anything that specifically talked about improvement with nausea during exercise?
1: This one is a tricky one because it also, it kind of goes back to hormonal regulation as well, because so much of a lot of times women who experience significant nausea during pregnancy, they're starting to find out a lot of it is hormonally related. And in terms of like the hormone environment, even before you got pregnant, not just what's happening during pregnancy. But I have seen, I mean, even like anecdotally, because once again, it's difficult to force someone who's nauseous during pregnancy to work out. It's a, that's a difficult one to force upon. But I have seen decreased, yeah, like feelings of nausea, not necessarily HG. But yeah, that's kind of a
0: different beast.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a yeah. completely different beast. But yes, decreased nausea overall, especially in that first trimester with light activity, talking about you know, walking and usually not starting something, a new routine.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, anecdotally, I will say, so I didn't I never had it to the point where I was, you know, getting sick every day or anything like that. But I had significantly profound nausea, which would affect just everything I was doing every day. And with the fourth pregnancy, I would get up at five o'clock in the well, four thirty in the morning and do orange theory or do a workout in the basement. And I kid you not. I mean, it like made me feel a thousand times better. I know that it sounds like how could I ever do that? Like when I feel this way, but I think it was like my body was surprised that I was getting up this early. So it didn't have a chance to be like nauseous right in the beginning. So I would immediately have like a banana or something. And then I would go to work out and It all happened before my body had an, I had a chance to be like, no, you feel sick. I swear, it was like, it was like, or you know what? It probably was just like in my mind, this is what I was thinking. And so it actually just helped me because of like, just thinking it would help, but whatever it was, it did help me a lot. So try it out. It can't hurt to try it out. But I know that it does, like someone telling you that when you feel sick is like, you do it. Okay. Because I don't want
1: to. No one wants to. Yeah. And I'll say a lot of, a lot of the research regarding like pregnancy, nausea and exercise, so much of it is, it's really hard to determine if it's causal or not. So a lot of them are just associations. But like you said, there has, I mean, there have been studies that have been conducted that say from, you know, these women report lower levels of nausea who are going through or who are exercising, especially during that first trimester. Now they can't determine necessarily why they have, there hasn't been any good research on that, but a lot of them have been able to at least correlate that there's a decreased level of nausea, perceived nausea
0: Yeah, yeah, in women
1: who exercise. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I don't know. Try it, I guess. Right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Can't hurt, right? Can't hurt. <laughs> so,
0: I wanted to talk a little bit about urinary leakage. Obviously, this is you know a topic that many talk about postpartum because so many women suffer from this. We'll say personally, I actually don't typically have any issues, which is kind of crazy as a mom of four, but... This past fall, my kids have contracted every virus known to man and brought them all home. And so I've been coughing for like 3 months straight. And lo and behold, now I have an issue, which is always it's always like pretty temporary, right? So it's just like the stress. But it happens to us all.
1: <laughs> it does. Oh, no one can escape it. <laughs> it really does.
0: Yeah, so I'm like in this phase now where I'm like, "Oh my gosh." Like I can't even cough or sneeze or do anything without like doing the leg crossover and the bend the bend over like crazy thing inside of a store that everybody's like, what is she doing? I'm like, well, I'm just trying not to be myself, everyone. Yes. <laughs> well,
1: and when, It's so funny that you mentioned that, like if you're on set kind of starting so much later on, because that's usually what I see when I'm working with women is I don't usually see a lot of urinary incontinence right away. It, postpartum, it is usually after multiple babies, or even after a prolonged period of time, say someone just has one child, and they might not experience this urinary leakage for maybe years later on down the road. And so much of that has to do with, you know, atrophy of the muscle, just as you age. So it's, it's interesting that you brought that up that it it is (laughs) reach (laughs) havoc later on.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I want to talk about it with regards to during pregnancy. So say someone is pregnant and they're experiencing this, whether it's like while they're working out, they're trying to do specific movements and they're experiencing it, or maybe they're sick and they're experiencing it. Is there anything that they can do while pregnant to help this situation?
1: Yeah. Well, people are probably gonna get sick of hearing me say this, but low impact strength training is one of the best things that you can do. There's actually one of my favorite research like studies to show people looks at the activity of the pelvic floor muscles just during like a regular Kegel versus something like squats or lunges. And the I mean, the results speak for itself. I think squats is about like 50% higher level of contractile activity of the pelvic floor muscles versus just a Kegel. And so I think. So many people think, yeah, there's so many different exercises. They go through like lunges, cat cow, even something like a cat cow has higher level of activity than just a kegel. So I think so many people, just because that's all we know is that we've heard, oh, if you're experiencing leakage during pregnancy, yeah, kegel, like Kegel, 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 Kegel. Right. Yeah.
0: And everyone's right. like, how the hell do I do a Kegel? How
1: do I do that? <laughs> exactly. So they're they're just starting to realize it's more about the functional full body movement. Now The double edged sword is you actually have to know how to, you know, contract your pelvic floor while doing a squat, because what happens, you know, especially during a cough or something, what I see people will actually bear down and almost like push their pelvic floor out versus pulling it up and in. And so that's the hardest part to teach someone is pulling it up and in. But yeah, their strength training, just like low impact strength training So many of those movements have higher levels of pelvic floor activity than just plain Kegels. And so women actually lose about 25% of strength in their pelvic floor muscles just throughout pregnancy because of the pelvic floor muscle stretching. And so imagine if you're losing 25% strength, that might be just enough to present with some signs of leakage. And so that's why I try and encourage movement at any point during pregnancy to hopefully prevent some of these unwanted issues from occurring.
0: Now, do you have any good resources for people or maybe even a video of your own that like kind of talks people through how to be engaging your pelvic floor in the right way, like during squats?
1: Yeah. So I try and when I post on social media, I try and always – state of when to exhale and inhale and like when you should be contracting your pelvic floor and deep core. But for a general reference, usually when you are exhale, you want to exhale during the hardest part of the movement. So say you go into a squat, the hardest part of the movement is getting up from that squat, right? We've all been there on the sofa, like that's the hardest part. Plopping down is is pretty easy. It's getting up. So say you're at the bottom of a squat and now you're trying to stand back up. That's when you would want to exhale and also contract your pelvic floor for that brief moment, because that's the largest amount of load that you're putting on your body. And so that load goes into the pelvic floor. And so the pelvic floor also needs to work to accept that load. So usually the hardest part of the movement, say you're doing an overhead press as you're pressing overhead, that's when you want to exhale and engage that pelvic floor. Yeah. I try and include that in all of my posts on the internet If anyone ever wanted to dive deeper, I have a whole course on it. But on the internet, on Instagram is when I usually will try and cue all of those points of movement. Awesome.
0: Okay. So since we're talking so much about like certain exercises during pregnancy, do you know, like, and this, the answer might be no, I don't have any specific ones, but are there, is there any research to help support specific? exercises. So whether it's strength training or just cardiovascularly is, is that are most beneficial throughout pregnancy?
1: Yeah. Well, kind of does go back to, you know, that study that I brought up about the EMG activity, like the electrical activity of the muscles during certain movements, specifically looking at more like full body movement rather than smaller isolated like just a plain old bicep curl, that sort of thing. So more of functional movement, movement that you're going to be using to care for your baby. I will say strength training, low impact strength training. So when I say low impact, I mean like you are not doing squat jumps onto a you know box or something like that. So low impact, meaning normally both feet are remaining on the ground. There's not a lot of jumping. That is what... Is starting to be recommended more often rather than just even pure walking or pure cardio because of the muscle loss that occurs, especially in the pelvic floor during pregnancy and in order to prepare you for postpartum. But no, there's not necessarily like research that's been done on like, okay, here are four exercises and these are the absolute best ones to do during pregnancy because so just picking up weights in general has so many benefits. And so that's something that I always try and caution people from believing in that they can only do certain movements, right? Is There's a whole variety of good movements out there. It's usually about how how you're doing it and making sure that you're taking your time, you're going slow, and you're not trying to rush through something difficult during this time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right. What about when it comes to the core? Because obviously, this is another question people always ask, like, what am I allowed to do? Can I do sit-ups on my back? Can I do any ab exercise I was doing prior to getting pregnant? What are all the rules about that?
1: Yeah. So what I typically recommend is in the first trimester, usually there's not that much of a strain on your body. And also for women who are experiencing a lot of nausea, that is might be a time they have decreased activity anyways, but typically there's not enough body change to alter the way that you're working out. Now this, some women, depending on if it's your second, third, you know, fourth child, maybe you do show a little bit earlier. Maybe you are experiencing that stretch a little bit sooner, but usually around the second trimester is when modifications come into play specifically regarding the core. So the, the, Old recommendation of never lying on your back during exercise has actually has yet to be shown. There, There's yet to, to be an article that shows if you perform 10 reps of an exercise on your back, you're harming your baby. You know, that has not been shown. It's if you spend, you know, extensive amount of time, like hours and hours and hours on your back, that is what they usually shy away from. So that being said, I do still have women exercise on their back. What I recommend during the second trimester is starting to avoid movements like sit-ups or crunches or any sort of movement that works the, almost like your six-pack muscle. You know, the big, it's called your rectus abdominis, your six-pack muscle in the front, because that is a muscle that is being stretched most significantly during pregnancy. So during that second trimester is when you want to reduce the amount of stress that's going forward in your belly, because you want to reduce the amount of load on a very stretched muscle. So I usually recommend avoiding things like planks or forward planks or something that you might want to start to look at your abdomen and see, are you experiencing that coning? Some women might not experiencing it till late in the second trimester. Some might experience it right away in the first trimester. So general exercises that you might start to want to look at and being a little bit more cautious are of are, you know, your sit-ups, Russian twists is a common one where you are doing weighted rotation in like a flex position of your trunk. The crunches, the sit-ups, pull-ups is actually a big core exercise, believe it or not, you have to really engage your core to pull yourself up. And so that's actually one of the first exercises normally that I see women start to have that coning is on a pull-up. And that's something you might not think of doing traditional core exercise, but that's why I had
0: such a hard time trying to do them, <laughs> them now, honestly. Like,
1: yeah. <laughs> I mean,
0: I'm, I, I started getting into weight training like last year, not to kind of dive off the subject, but it's interesting you say that because I've been weight training a lot ever since my fourth. That's like all I'm concentrating on. And so I'm like, I want to be able to do 10 pull-ups. What a rude (laughs) awakening it was the day I like tried to do one. I was like, are there any muscles in my back left? Like... And and I mean, it makes sense because a lot of it, like you said, core. I, I my core is still destroyed. Like I mean, I, I've done all the things I can. It's just very hard after having a growing belly for you know four kids. But yeah, I mean, that's crazy.
1: I will say pull-ups is one of the the hardest things to do, especially for females. Now, granted, there are some things that like play a part in terms of our center of gravity is a little bit lower than males. And so it's harder to do some of that upper body pulling motion as well. But yeah, the core strength needed to perform a pull-up is significant and to perform a pull-up correctly, right? Like, There are some ways that you kind of muscle yourself on up there, but to be able to do like a strict plane pull up is super core intensive. And so, yeah, that's actually one of the first exercises that I'll recommend to people in the second trimester to kind of double check yourself. And it might be time to cut it out. If you notice any of that coning of the abdomen, that's when to start. The second trimester is really when to start looking at your belly, doing core exercises, because a lot of the ones on your back, like, you know, bird dog or dead bugs, you're like, a lot of hollow holds that people might do in bar classes or Pilates, a lot of those are gonna start to, you're gonna start to notice coning during those in the second trimester. So that's usually when I start to recommend cutting them out.
0: Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So I think that about covers all the things I wanted to ask you, but I have some, a few questions from my community that we might not have gone over. Is there anything though that you want to add before we jump into those?
1: What I will say is that people shouldn't shy away from training their core. I feel like a lot of providers tell women during pregnancy to not perform any core strengthening activities. And I think that is not super accurate. I think it's just because, you know, providers, they're not, their job isn't to study rehab and the movement of the human body. And so rather than providing some sort of recommendation that, might be correct or incorrect. They just say, don't do it. Yeah, you know. Yeah, so I exactly, think that yeah. that's where some of that fear comes from rather than saying, oh no, there actually are movements that you can do. And here's like a good resource mm-hmm. of what are the correct movements you can be doing.
0: Okay. So let's see here. Oh, this is a, this is always a question. So if somebody was doing zero activity prior to being pregnant, but they want to start doing some sort of activity. And if we can please address like the cardio aspect and then the strength training aspect, where should they start?
1: Yeah. So this is something that ACOG has in their guidelines as well. So they usually, ACOG recommends about 150 minutes of exercise, like the minimum, 150 minutes of exercise per week, which is about 30 minutes a day. And so if someone has done nothing, like no activity, I recommend just starting with walking first, like rather than any sort of strength training, get up to walking 30 minutes a day and being able to do that comfortably. That is the first place that I always recommend starting. And then when it comes time, once you feel like you can do that and life is good, you're not experiencing any significant symptoms, pelvic pain leakage, then I recommend introducing strength training where you even strength training can even just be your body weight that is a great place to start. Think of, like I said, you're growing a little dumbbell inside of you. And so your body weight is increasing throughout pregnancy as well. So I'll usually recommend body weight to start and more functional movements. So rather than a lot of single leg activities, you want to start with a lot of double leg activities or double arm activities because now you have two points of contact with the ground rather than one so single leg activities are always going to be harder than double leg activities same thing with the upper limbs and so then afterwards increasing the weight a general recommendation honestly for both cardio and strength training is to increase the weight no more than about 10 percent per week or like per at a time so if you were you know only lifting five pounds one day, you don't want to jump to 25 pounds the next day. So at bare minimum, you would want to increase it, you know, by about 10% per workout session, but only once you can comfortably do a workout at that weight. So that is kind of my recommendation would be first nail the walking, then add in, body weight activity and then strength training by about 10% per week because i think a lot of people think you can only some of the recommendations honestly i hear providers say don't start anything new during pregnancy like don't start any new workout routine and that is just completely not evidence based whatsoever there there's nothing to show that you shouldn't start working out during pregnancy if you haven't done so before i just think there's not enough information out there and resources for people about how to do so safely. Because if you, ha- if you haven't been lifting weights, I think you can lift weights during pregnancy for sure. But I would recommend following some sort of guidance from a rehab professional or someone who's certified in pre and postnatal training rather than kind of going on it at your own.
0: Now, Obviously, a pelvic floor PT is amazing for postpartum, which I didn't discover until kind of later on, which I have been raving about ever since and I think should be required for every postpartum mom. But so I don't digress. Can so can a pelvic floor PT be somebody that guides you in in something like this where it's like, let's talk about what you can do as far as you know strength training or where you should start and things like that? Can they be helpful for that?
1: Right. Most of the time, yes. Like any other medical profession in the world, there's always going to be great providers and not so great providers. So there might be some providers out there who, believe it or not, there are like specialties within the pelvic floor. So some people just specialize in pre and postnatal. And how the pelvic floor is affected and involved. Whereas some pelvic floor providers just want to specialize in like chronic pain or maybe the menopausal area, things along those lines. So I do think it's important before you schedule a appointment with any pelvic floor provider, like ask them questions, you know, do you work with pregnancy and postpartum population? Because what I would not want to happen, what I would feel really bad for is someone hearing this and being like, "Oh, pelvic floor PTs. Yep, I'm going to schedule my appointment. They're going to tell me everything I need to know about exercise during pregnancy and postpartum, and then maybe they get a pelvic floor therapist who doesn't really work with pregnancy and postpartum population often." So, that is something and just something you should do with any providers, asking a couple of questions and making sure that they are the right fit for you. But in general, most should have good exercise recommendations and be up to date on the literature
0: perfect now what about can you at all address exercising while trying to conceive <laughs> i mean <Yeah. laughs> i know this stuff, but this is again one of those things where some people have heard hey if you're trying to conceive If you exercise, it might risk, you know, egg not meeting sperm or what have you. So let's just kind of maybe debunk (laughs) that a little bit.
1: Yeah. There, once again, same thing with, and not to, I don't want to make this lighthearted at all, but same thing with with the idea that working out might cause a miscarriage. There is just no research to back up the fact that working out can impact your ability to have or to conceive. It actually... Usually helps to regulate your hormones. Working out is actually, you know, shown to regulate your hormones and to improve blood flow and oxygenation throughout your body, which can actually make a better environment for conceiving. So that is something that I am, I try and stress as often as I can that exercise does not impact conception, nor does it impact any sort of chance of a miscarriage in fact low impact low impact strength training really helps to regulate your cortisol levels which can improve chances of fertility because i think we're starting to realize more and more there's more and more research out there about different types not to get off on a tangent but different types of exercise women should be performing based on their menstrual cycle because all of the research out there up until i think it's maybe like even the 2000s any sort of hormonal research was performed on males with exercise. Of course it was. And so I know, right? And so <laughs> their hormonal system was. is so different than ours. And so they're showing that there are different types of stre- I mean, working out like versus high intensity versus low intensity that is better during different periods of your menstrual cycle. Mm-hmm. And that can be a whole different, you know, podcast topic. Yeah, um, yeah is, for sure. That's something – to take into consideration is that there might be better types of exercise to perform during different phases of your cycle to help increase chances of conception. So I
0: love, I love that you mentioned that. I actually did a podcast. Oh gosh, this was like probably almost two years ago now, but it it addressed exactly this. I mean, we just broke down your cycle and then not even just like physically, kind of what you should be doing during each part of your cycle, but also like mentally, like where you're at. So just like hormonally, how that affects your mental and physical activity during all of the different phases of your cycle. I am like fascinated by all. All of that because i think it's so cool and it sets you up to to be successful at kind of whatever you're doing in life right to be like oh you know i this is i'm going to you know if we if you're trying to tackle something whether it's like hey i'm signing up for this triathlon like where am i going to be in my cycle you know or i really wanted to try to achieve this amazing thing at work and i'm going to do it during this particular week because i know that mentally this is where i'm at you know
1: yeah. cool. It's amazing when you start to work with your cycle versus just, Kind of like bulldozing through everything mm-hmm. um, and just complaining yeah. while you do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like, why can't I focus, or why can't I get something done? It's it's really is crazy, and it also is mind blowing to me that like this research is just coming out on females in our cycle, but also not surprising. It
0: well, I was gonna say. <laughs> I mean, is it really that mind blowing? Because I feel like you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's like a whole nother discussion. Yeah, that's so, a whole other
1: discussion. <laughs> let's
0: move on before we get too upset. So, okay, that's I have more, but you know we are running out of time. So I want to follow up now with two questions I ask everybody I have on. So the first one is, if you had one piece of advice for moms, what would it be?
1: Yes. So I feel this is the biggest piece of advice for myself as a new mom is that you it's impossible to do everything and you won't be able to do everything. And that's something that I've really had to come to peace with. I am someone who likes to achieve and keep my house very orderly and things like that. And the more I almost have to repeat to myself, you you cannot do everything. You can't, it's impossible to do everything. I almost have to use as my mantra to keep myself from going crazy during, especially those early, early weeks postpartum because it really is impossible to do everything. And it's okay to lean on other people. And that's something that I've really struggled with as a new mom. I have a nine month old. Um, Yeah. Oh, this is me really struggle with.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. And I've I've like, I mean, you know, this goes with with anything. Like if if that's something you're currently struggling with, I mean, write it down and put it on your fridge because put it where you're going to see it all the time. Because I swear it helps. Like, and every part of like motherhood has different struggles. And so, like, if it's like, I need to have more patience, like with all the kids, like trying to get my attention at once at the end of the school day and all this other stuff, like I'll really like dig deep for like a quote or like something I read from a book and just write it down and put it somewhere I can see it and be like, okay, just read this. It definitely helps. Okay. Okay. So the last question is, if you could make one meal for your family that everyone would eat, that's relatively quick and easy, what would it be?
1: We are meat eaters here. So a good steak and like sweet potato fries, even my daughter would eat. Everyone in our family would eat. <laughs> We're big, that. just like meat and potato type of people. And so you can't go wrong with a steak and sweet potatoes for us. Yes. That's, that and would how be do you our easy meal.
0: What so what what kind of steak like do you typically cook and how do you cook it?
1: Yeah. So this is where me and my husband will get into arguments. I love a <laughs> filet. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I love a filet and I love when it is grilled. However, that has its own challenges. Sometimes when you have a little one at home, getting out and like getting to the grill is mm-hmm. difficult. So we have an air fryer. And so oh. a lot of times, yeah, we, we interesting. can interesting. And so we might start with the steak and the skillet and then move it to the air fryer to kind of get the edges like crispy. Mm. Um, and so we use the air fryer quite a bit. But I mean he would prefer something like a ribeye or something like for him it's about the quantity of meat versus <laughs> you know quality. Not, the quality. So I love a filet. He's oh. just more of like ribeye something give me something bigger than that. Oh my gosh, um, that's so funny. Yeah, that's where <laughs> that's where we differ in our meat preferences. <laughs>
0: all right we'll end it there thank you so much for joining me today and just educating all of us about exercising during pregnancy i think this is going to be immensely helpful and thank you for taking the time
1: yes thank you for having me i'm so excited anytime i can talk about debunking myths about working out during pregnancy and postpartum i'm more than happy to
0: you're our girl (laughs) (laughs) thank you Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties.